if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. As we've seen, Jesus is just coming from Jerusalem. He passes through Samaria. We see a marvelous response from the Samaritans, and they believe in Jesus. And that is contrasted with the predominant response of most of the people in Galilee who do not accept him. Jesus went north up to Galilee, and now Jesus is going to go south to Jerusalem once more. And when he gets there, we're going to see mounting opposition to who he is and to the claims that he is making. He is going to begin to more predominantly and more forcefully claim that he is the Messiah. He is God. And as he makes these claims, the religious leaders of his day get upset and they desire to see him fall or to not succeed in proclaiming himself as God. And so John chapter 5 is actually very extremely connected. And if it wasn't Father's Day and if we didn't have a meeting, I probably would have preached the whole text and you guys would have been here for like 45 minutes to an hour. But I'm very kind and I told you that I would kind of keep it shorter. So we're actually going to look at the first section. John chapter 5 verses 1 through 18 then is going to deal with Jesus' claim to deity through deed. And then John chapter 5, verses 19 through 47, is going to deal with Jesus' claim to deity as he explains the implications of what happens in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. So John chapter 5 is a unit explaining and proclaiming the deity of Jesus Christ. That is the big theme of John chapter 5. And we see it not only in deed, but also in word. And so... We're just going to look at the deed part today, but we have to keep in mind that it is extremely connected with what comes after in John chapter 5, 19 through 47. The big idea is affirm the identity of Jesus, the Messiah. He is God. And so he is calling for us, the Gospel of John is calling for us to affirm that with the evangelist, with historic Christianity, to affirm that Jesus is God. If you would take your Bibles and let's read John chapter 5. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, lame, blind, lame, paralyzed. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. 
The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and, who are, and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous." because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you are willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me, and the Father himself who sent me was testified of, has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, 
But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, then you will him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another, and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity that it provides us. We pray that as we examine your word this morning, that you would help us to understand it and to affirm what the evangelist affirms. And in your name we pray. Amen. The story begins with a man who is cured in chapter 5, verses 1 through 9a. And Jesus visits Bethesda, a pool with many sick people. Chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, and these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. You might be thinking, Pastor David, you just told us a little bit ago that Jesus is going to go south, but our text says that he went up to Jerusalem. That's because Jerusalem is at a higher elevation, and so when they talked about up and down, they didn't think north and south, they thought elevation. So he's going up to Jerusalem, that is south, but it's actually higher in elevation. So don't be confused. But he's visiting there, and he's going to go and visit a pool named Bethesda, that has lots of sick people there. Lots of sick people staying at this pool. And you notice that I did not read verses 3b through 4. Those are probably not original to the text, but are an addition, somebody added, trying to explain the blind man's response and try to justify it and make it sound like what he was saying was actually true. This is not the theme of the story, though. And so... They're not original to the text. They are a later edition, and so we're not going to examine them. Jesus passed many other sick individuals to help this man. That's an interesting idea, and it should bring up questions in our minds. Why is Jesus walking by all these other sick people, right? The text tells us that there are many sick people here. There are blind people there. There are lame people there. There are paralyzed people there. And they're all sitting there on these five porches. There's probably two pools and five different porches that kind of encompass the area. And so there's all these sick people. And Jesus doesn't go around going, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're all healed, go home. And it should bring up questions. Why didn't Jesus just walk in? and show just how gracious and merciful he was, and just heal all these sick people. Why did he specifically go to this one man and tell him, ask him a question, do you want to be healed? Listen to his response, and then give him three commands and heal him. Why? Why did Jesus do this? We will see the answer, but it should bring up the questions. There are lots of other people that Jesus could have chosen to heal, but he did not choose to heal them. 
he chose to heal one man at this time. And it brings up questions. So Jesus goes to this man. Let's read verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. This guy had been sick for a long time. A really long time. But I don't think that's why Jesus chose to heal him. I think he could have been sick for one year, or even a day, and Jesus would have still gone to this man to heal him. But Jesus knew it. The text is beginning to point us to the true identity of Jesus, right? It's not like somebody, Jesus entered this area with all these sick people laying around, and you know, somebody came up to him and goes, Jesus, you know, there's lots of people here, but you see that guy way in the back over there? Yeah, him. He really needs your help because he's been here for 38 long years and he needs your help, Jesus. Go heal that guy. Now, Jesus knew this man. And Jesus targeted this man. And what does he target him with? He targets him with a question. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, 38 years, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? That's some extreme compassion and care. Jesus is demonstrating his compassion, his grace, his mercy to this man. And he asks him a very simple question. What kind of question is this? That's a yes or no question, right? He's not asking him for an explanation. He's not asking him for a thesis or a dissertation. It's a simple yes or no. Would you like to be healed? And the response shows the man is a bitter man. He is an extremely bitter man. Look at the response, verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. Okay, this is where the explanation of why verses 3b through 4 was added. Because why is he wanting to get into the pool? Because of his belief. What is his belief? When the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. He thought that there is miraculous healing properties in the water. And so whoever got into the water first, when the water started to stir, got healed. And so all these sick people are sitting around this pool, and they're all waiting for the water to stir, and then there's this mad dash into the water. And they think that whoever gets there first when the water starts to stir, that person's healed. And so somebody's trying to explain the idea and trying to say that that's a true statement that this actually happened, and they put 3b through 4 in. Whether it happened or not is not the point of the text. The point of the text is not, does the water perform miracles? The point of the text is, Jesus is God, and he performs miracles. The water is just the situation. Jesus is the point of the text. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. That is the point of the text. That is why we have this text. So Jesus heals this man. He says to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. So D Jesus demonstrates then his power and his person. The Jesus shows him 
with his action in healing him, that he is God. It's interesting. You have two contrasts. You have on the one side the severity of the illness demonstrated by 38 years. That's like 11 years longer than I've been alive. That's a long time. I can't imagine being sick that long. And on the other side, you have the completeness and wholeness of the healing by the immediacy with which he responds to Jesus' command, right? Jesus tells him, take up your bed and walk. And verse 12, he does it. Or, no, sorry. Verse 9, he does it. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. The man is wholly fulfilled. He's physically, he's completely better. Just with Jesus' word. And Jesus is proving through that that I am God. And Jesus' power, person, and compassion remain today. While Jesus does not choose to work in these same miraculous ways, he doesn't go up to people at um, the local downtown Des Moines swimming pool and ask people if they would like to be healed and miraculously heal them. God's power is still evident. He's still in control of all situations. He is still God, and he is still compassionate, and he works in people's lives in wonderful ways. You know, Robin Stearns was just announced that her cancer was gone. Okay? God still works and he cares for people. But sadly, this guy does not get it. This man comes into an amazing interaction with Jesus, in which Jesus shows him that he is God by healing him and healing him instantaneously. And this guy completely misses the point. And so Jesus will come back and caution him. Verses 9b through 15. 9b introduces us to a problem that is present. And the problem is, and that day was the Sabbath. It was the most important day of the week. The day when the Jews did not allow you to do any work. They overstretched the idea of what the Sabbath was supposed to be. The Sabbath was supposed to be a break from your normal Monday to Friday job, if you will. But they went so far as to say, you can't unstitch two stitches. And if you wanted to stitch two stitches because, you know, the hem in your pants was torn, one stitch, fine. Two stitches. No. Wait till the next day. And you could not carry anything. And so they just put rules upon rules upon rules. And they had a whole list of 39 main categories of work that you could not perform on the Sabbath. And under those, they would have subcategories. They took it to an extreme. And so the Jews remind the man, it is illegal to work on the Sabbath. Verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. How dare you? How dare you? That little mat that you had at the pool, 
It's not a heavy bed. I mean, this is not like a queen-size bed. This is like a little mat that you roll up. And he's carrying the little thing home after he's cured, and they stop him. And how dare you carry something on the Sabbath? What horrible work you're doing. And it brings up an altercation. And they ask him. Well, they don't ask him, but he, he's going to throw Jesus kind of under the bus, right? Verse 10, it is not lawful for to you to carry your bed. Verse 11, he answered them. What does he answer them? He says, he who made me well, it's like Adam and Eve, where <laughs> the woman you gave me, that's exactly the type of thing he's doing here. He who made me well, that guy at the pool, he's the one that said to me, take up your bed and walk. And so he throws Jesus under the bus, and there's this misunderstanding that persists in the Jewish mindset. And some people carry it over till today. So some people think that we're, today is a Sabbath. Today is not the Sabbath. Believers today are not under the law, but under grace. We don't live under a Sabbath principle. So the man becomes nervous and he blames Jesus. He puts Jesus in the responsibility seat and he says, it's not my fault, it's Jesus' fault. He is the one that healed me. And so you see, once again, it's pointing to this idea that this guy doesn't understand who Jesus is and he does not understand his need to respond to Jesus in a proper way. It's interesting, he doesn't even know who healed him, right? Verse 12. The man seems very dull. He's not a bright fellow. Verse 12. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Verse 13. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. He didn't even catch the guy's name. He just got healed, picked up his thing, and started walking away, and Jesus made away because there was a lot of people and probably everybody's like, ooh, cool, somebody got healed without getting in the water. Like, let's go talk to that guy. And Jesus gets out of the way because he had a purpose in healing this man. There is a purpose, there is a reason why this man was healed and not all the other people that were around him. Jesus had a purpose in healing this man. Jesus' purpose was to make a significant claim. Jesus is claiming that he is God. He is equal with God. And he's doing so by deed. He is doing work on the Sabbath. He's working on the Sabbath. And by doing that, he is claiming that he is equal with God. And that's why Jesus chose to heal this man in part. We're going to see the other part in a little bit here. Jesus goes to the man. It's interesting, right? Jesus purposely healed this man, and he did it on the Sabbath. Could Jesus have gone and found him on, I know it's not Monday, but you know, on Sunday when it wasn't the Sabbath? Yeah, Jesus went and found the man later on in the temple. 
Verse 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus is cautioning the man. Jesus is saying, You were sick for 38 years because of some unconfessed sin in your life. And because of that unconfessed sin, you were sick for 38 years long years of your life and jesus comes to him and says you still don't get it i've done a miracle it should have made you go why is somebody doing a miracle on the sabbath day working on sunday or not on sunday but on the sabbath why is somebody doing that what does this mean about who they are but you missed it completely and now you're pointing at me as the culprit to the jewish leaders and bringing me into opposition and confrontation with them and so Jesus says to him, stop sinning. And if you don't stop sinning, what's going to happen? Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus points him towards repentance. Jesus wants him to change the way he is living. There is a danger, though, in thinking that all suffering is from sin right when we go to john chapter 9 a story that's point and purpose is very similar to the one that we have here jesus is going to tell his disciples that it is not because of sin that all people suffer right john chapter 9 verse 3. let's actually look at verses 1 through 2 that'll give us some context for jesus's statement in verse 3. now as jesus passed by he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind i think they're probably remembering this story where jesus tells the guy stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you and they're like well jesus who's the culprit here is it this guy or his parents why is he suffering from blindness up till now and what does jesus say neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him. He wants to reveal who he is and what he can do through this man. And it's the same thing that Jesus does with this man. He's re revealing who he is. And he's also challenging this man in John chapter 5 to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. But... He doesn't realize that he faces eternal condemnation. He doesn't realize that he faces eternal condemnation. That's what the something worse is. I do not think that Jesus is saying, if you don't stop sinning, you're going to go back to the porch and you're going to be having that illness for another 38 years and you're just trying to scoot along and get into the pool when the water stirs. That's not what Jesus is saying. The threat is far more grave than that. Jesus is saying... If you fail to trust me as God, you will face a eternal condemnation in hell. And that's what Jesus is saying. And the man, he doesn't get it. He does not respond in repentance and faith. What does he do with this instruction from Jesus? Verse 15, the man departed and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand Jesus' claim. 
I don't think the man is treacherous. I don't think he's like just innately evil and like trying to plot against Jesus. I just think he's doesn't get it. He's dull. Just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. And so what happens as a result of this then is he failed to respond, repent and respond to the claims of Jesus. He failed to respond to Jesus' claims of deity. He failed to repent. And so then it brings about the Messiah's claim. And we're going to see him begin to point to the Messiah's claim, Jesus' claim. What is Jesus saying about himself through this miracle? What is Jesus claiming? We're going to see that introduced and then next week we'll look at Jesus' more fuller discourse in explaining what does this miracle say about me? Why did I do this? Verses 16 through 18. The Jews, the Jewish leaders, they got it. As opposed to this man that was healed, the Jews got it. And they understood right away. They're like, wow, this is a big claim. Look at verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus because he had done these things on the Sabbath. The Jews understand Jesus' claim and they persecute him. And what does Jesus say in response to the persecution that he's facing? He says, My Father has been working until now and I have been working. Why is that significant? Significant for two reasons. Number one, the Jews never individually called God my father. They might say our father, but to say my father, that was too far. Number two, the Jews all believed that God was working. They believed that God was working and had been working from creation. After the first day after creation, they believed that he continued to work. They believed he had to continue working. And this was their argument. The argument is quite fascinating. The entire universe is his domain. The entire universe belongs to God, so it's kind of like his house. You could, you know, walk around in your house and not be breaking the Sabbath. So if the entire universe is his domain, he's okay because, you know, he can be here and there and everywhere and he's not working because it's all his domain. It's like his house. And God fills the entire universe, right? These are things that we affirm too. God lives, lifts nothing higher than his height because the entire universe is his domain. So God is not technically working, but he is working, and it's okay. That was their logic. But they believed that God was working. And what does he say? God's been working, and I have been working until now. He's making a strong claim to equality with God. He's making a claim that he is equal to God the Father. He's saying, I and God are equal. The Jews believed that God was working continuously. And Jesus agrees and claims deity. He says, my Father, and then he claims to be working as the Father is working. And so what does this bring about? What does this bring about? Look at verse 18. Therefore, what happened? The Jews saw all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. What did that mean? Making himself equal with God. 
and how dare he? And then after that, what does Jesus do? Jesus goes into a discourse explaining why it is okay for him to make that claim. Why is it okay for Jesus to say that he is equal with God? That's what comes from verse 19 all the way through verse 47. Jesus is going to add to the argument through his own words, and he's going to point to the testimony, the witness, outside. And he's going to make a strong claim and say, I am God. I deserve the honor, the reverence, the respect that you give God. You need to place your faith and trust in me, unlike that man who I just healed. So they continue to persecute him. That's the other thing that we see in verse 18. Because he broke the Sabbath and because he was claiming that God was his father. And Jesus is going to respond over the rest of chapter 5 by making claim with word. He's, he's claimed with his deeds in healing this man. And the resulting conversation that occurred He's now going to, next week, move into a defense of who he is with his words. What does this passage mean for us? I think, once again, we are confronted with a compassionate God. Does this man respond in saving faith? No, he does not. He does not respond in, in saving faith. And so a worse condition is his and yet you see god's compassion in coming and healing the man even though jesus knew that he'd been sick for 38 years and jesus knew when he healed him that he would not respond to his identity in a proper way and yet jesus showed compassion to him and jesus shows compassion to us god shows compassion to us still but also we need to respond in faith to Jesus. And responding in faith to the claims of Jesus that he is God, he is the Messiah, should come with a response that responds to the caution that Jesus gives the man. Jesus says, you've been made well, see? But what is the, what is the claim that Jesus makes on him? The claim is, the response of faith should lead to sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And while I don't think we can lose our salvation as believers, I do think it's very possible. And scripture warns several times that it is possible that a believer who persists in sin is hanging death over their head. And so responding in faith doesn't simply mean that we acknowledge and say, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus is God. It means that we should change the way we live. We should seek to shun sin and honor and glorify God and live a life that is holy and righteous. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that we can look at your word and see the claims that you make about who you are. We pray that we would not simply be hearers of your word, but that we would respond in saving faith that would result in a changed way of living our lives. We pray that you would help us to 
honor and glorify you today. In your name we pray, amen.